Indeed, it is such a pleasure to be with you on this Lord's Day. The first time I was here, I was here for a rehearsal for the Presbytery meeting, so I knew exactly how to go down that little back alley behind there and find a perfect parking space. And the greeters were right there greeting me, so thank you so very much. So this is my custom, and I'm just going to ask that you just kind of bear with me and just kind of put your little smiley faces on. See, sometimes you have to prove to Mission Council that you're actually doing stuff. So if you could just get ready for this little selfie here. Y'all ready and smiling? All right, y'all be certain to tell Kenna that I was here. Okay, okay, we're going to move right on. Okay, just in case, you know, you got to keep everyone happy. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for the ability to live, move, and have our being in you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For truly, God, you are our Redeemer, and we know our Redeemer lives. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And thanks be to God. It probably goes without saying this, but I'm going to just say it just for the purpose of making certain that it's known. I am a Southerner. I grew up in a time where you didn't have to ask, may I get a glass of sweet tea? Because the tea was always sweet. I grew up eating what folks now call organic foods. <laughs> but for me, my parents would make a call down in South Georgia to Mr. Carmichael, and he would slaughter a cow and a pig for us, and we would have organic <laughs> meat in our freezer. Preservatives and additives weren't heard of because my mother and my aunts and my grandmother made their own applesauce, they made their own jelly, they made their own tomato sauce, and they canned their vegetables. When I was in elementary school, my grandfather, affectionately known as Daddy Emmett, would come to the house to plant our family garden. My best guess is that he was probably be about 75 years old at that time. And all of his tilling of the soil was done manually. He would use a shovel and dig deeply into the earth to turn the soil over. I had a job. My job was to retrieve water for him. Now, he would say, gal, don't give me none of that water from the refrigerator. You pull it straight from the spigot. Over the time, about three or four days, Daddy Emmett would dig up an area about 12 by 16, and, and after that ground would be ready to plant the seeds. So I thought. But Grandfather would then get a load of fertilizer to put in with the soil to nourish it. And, and, and then the work of the fertilizer would begin to commiserate with the soil. He used cow manure. Now you have to understand that this is in the 70s, the early 70s, and, and the manure from these cows didn't come from Lowe's or Home Depot. It came from that same farmer who composted and made his own. Now, kids from the neighborhood would come to my house because I had really cool toys. And I remember being embarrassed because for just a few days, our yard smelled like, well, you know. And after about a week, then my father would begin to plant his 
garden, cucumbers and tomatoes and peppers and, and squash and, and green beans. And there was just something magical about watching my grandfather use a shovel and a, and a pick and a hoe to prepare this soil for gardening. By the time my grandfather reached 80, he was no longer strong enough to do that type of work. So my dad took over. It wasn't that my father couldn't do the work in the first place, but that my grandfather missed working with the soil. My father decided to move the garden from the side of the house to the backyard, and so he purchased a gas tiller. <laughs> so today I, I want to preach from the subject, the sower, the seed, and the soil. My wife, who is here with me today, Montressa, glad to have you in worship with us today. We love to travel. Oh, my gosh. We love going to, to different countries and, and different areas in the United States. And as you get to know me, you will see that I rarely meet a stranger. I will strike up a conversation with anyone. And oftentimes they strike up conversations with me. We'll be conversing. I'm chilling with my beverage of choice, laughing. And inevitably, someone will ask, so what do you all do for a living? What do you do for a living? And I always look at her first, hoping that she'll answer. And so she'll say something, and I'm glad about it. And then, not that I'm ashamed of being a minister, but sometimes when you tell people that, it'll create some type of barrier, or you find yourself working. <laughs> because they'll say, well, let me ask you this. So it's ironic, I heard, I heard one preacher kind of describe his occupation, and this is what he said. He said, I am the captain of a ship that never leaves port, a shepherd of sheep that are not sheep, an educator of people that are not in school, and I work in futures that are not in stock markets. When I heard this, I just realized, I'm just going to tell people I'm a preacher because that's just, that's just too many things, <laughs> you know. But Jesus was the master of parables. He used ordinary ways to describe extraordinary things. Those who were blind spiritually could not see the answer. And maybe this is one of those parables. Jesus had many people, including his family, questioning his, his sanity, his stability, and even his safety. He was so busy serving that sometimes he had to go away to a quiet place. Sometimes the, the, the crowd rushed in on him so much that he had to even get in a boat to teach the people. In the 12th chapter in Matthew, the, the writer narrates several stories of Jesus' conflicts with the Pharisees, who are now they're plotting to destroy him. They've even accused him of working for Satan. By the end of chapter 12, Jesus appears to even be at odds with his own family. And at the end of chapter 13, Jesus will be rejected by his hometown. Why is he encountering so much hostility? Why do so many disregard his message and discredit his ministry? I believe that the parable of the sower sort of kind of probes into the mystery of mixed responses of the message of Jesus Christ. 
And I bet you all can kind of go along with that too. Sower, the seed in the soil. Jesus is teaching from a boat, but his teaching is earthy, using images of seeds and soil. Like, why did he talk about shells and fish? He's on the boat after all. The parable of the sower is unusual because Jesus uses this metaphorical interpretation to his disciples. And it focuses on seed and different kinds of soil. Kind of in an allegorical way to talk about how people respond to the word of God. How people respond to the kingdom, the commonwealth of God. In other words, the soil is the changing factor. And how the seed responds determines its fruitfulness. What Jesus does is he offers this clear explanation of what each element in the parable represents, which could mean that if the seed falls to the ground and it germinates and it moves on and there we go. But if we're honest, I think that this simplistic understanding kind of raises some questions for me. And maybe for you too. How do you determine whether the soil is good? Hmm. Because soil doesn't change itself. Like, soil doesn't morph into some, something else. Even my grandfather had to manipulate the soil and nurture the soil to create a better chance for the seed to take root and germinate. So the question is, then is there any hope for hardened soil or, or, or rocky soil or thorny soil? Are these types of soil destined to be unproductive forever? What are the necessary conditions for fruitful soil, for fruitful discipleship? Why is it that so many people hear the beautiful music and songs of the good news of of Jesus Christ and, and see the witness of your hands and feet working together in the community. Why do we see this and they still don't understand? Why are so many disciples planted than the ones who actually bear fruit? Hmm. These are the types of questions, beloved, that that you might want to look at beyond your mission study that you'll do as you transition during this time of change and you're looking for your new pastor. These are different types of questions that ask, how do we become the church that God has called to bear fruit and find those fertile places in which WPC can be fruitful and multiply and grow? But let's look at this text. Verses 4 through 8, get the different types of soil in which the seed was sown. The seed is the same spread by the sower, but the soil is always different. So first you have the hardened soil. You've seen it before. The soil that, that, that the, the pathway was usually on, it was hard and because it was walked on to and fro, it had been trampled upon. And so that type of soil is very resistant to the seed. 
the birds or the squirrel <laughs> can come and devour it and you would see no crops. You know, so I think that if you think about it from our perspective, sometimes hardened soil looks like soil of self-sufficiency or self-satisfaction or self-righteousness. It's a soil of structured racism, the hardened soil of misogyny and patriarchy and the evil one uses in these hardened, ingrained places to devour the opportunity for true repentance. That soil hardened. But it's not that it can't be saved in this condition. But the problem is that the soil can't be used to bear fruit for the kingdom. Said differently, there are places, there, there are countries, there are entities, there are denominations, there are congregations that the, the soil is so hard because we've always done it that way that it makes tilling difficult and problematic in these calloused places. And unless and until the structures of systemic poverty get revealed by, by cracking open these exclusive practices that oftentimes keep black and brown folks and, and, and indigenous folks and LGBTQ siblings and our, our immigrant siblings, women outside, until this soil gets broken up. Well, let's just say we still have work to do. And then there's the shallow soil. This soil just barely covers the, the hidden rocks that are formed beneath the surface. And here's what happens in shallow soil. Plant grows, roots, pops up. But then the, the roots just quickly evaporate because the sun begins to bear its heat. Kind of like it's, a, like it's, a, it's a, a superficial type of growth. And this, this is that, that, that thing where you see something and you think it's there and suddenly it's not. There, there's the feeling and the emotion. But when times get hard, when the heat gets turned up, it's hard to see how you can survive. You know, there, there is a person raised in the South. I've seen and lived through many times of blatant and overt racism. I've seen the, the taking down of, of racist symbols, and that's a start. But there has to be repentance, metanoia, to turn away from. There, have, there has to be reparations, restorations to the communities that have been harmed. See, in shallow soil, there is no recognition of a lost condition, no contrition, no brokenness, and certainly no humility. It is shallow, and it quickly loses interest in taking the next steps to create liberty and justice for all of God's children. But then there's that thorny soil. The soil has plenty of weeds growing, huh? <laughs> In fact, the weeds are hardier than the crop because the thorns and the weeds are choking out the plant before it can bear fruit. 
This soil is that, that worldly and, and waywardly uh, soil. It, it gives this great appearance, but it's being choked out by the burdens of the world. You've seen people who are apparently thriving, but they're being choked out by the ways and the burdens that they're having to contend with. We see some, this sometimes in our, in our corporate spaces, and, and we see this sometimes even in organizational structures. I think they call it the, the glass cliff. I've heard of the glass ceiling, where there's a glass cliff as well. And the glass cliff is, is described like a, it's like a real-world phenomenon in which actually women are more likely to be appointed to positions of leadership in a poorly performing organization, while men are more likely to be appointed to stable positions in thriving organizations. This effect represents a subtle but yet dangerous form of gender discrimination that may limit the workplace and limit a woman's ability to become a successful leader. Have you seen it? Women get placed in this, this position in a flailing organization that is eaten up with weeds. And we know how the rest of the story goes. But then there's fertile soil. Ah, this is the soil that has been properly prepared and nurtured. This is what your Bible studies and your, and your Sunday school and your youth programs, that's what you're doing. I won't call it manure, we're going to call it worms. Because worms actually feed the soil. That's what WPC is doing. You are fertilizing the, the sowers who will then go out. But they're going to encounter some rough terrain. This is the soil prepared by the Holy Spirit. Spiritually ready. But it takes time. I think we do sometimes get in a hurry to hurry up and what want to want that harvest to come and, and reap the benefits of our blood and our sweat and our tears and, and our calloused hands. Westminster, you've had long leadership in this church. Leadership that has taken you through and navigated lots of conditions of soil. And now you get a chance to continue. Thanks be to God. Because you are the sower. If you think that the sower is the preacher, the teacher, the elder, or Jesus Christ, the sower is you, the one who spreads the good news, the one who gets a chance to share that there is one who loves and cares for you no matter what. Nowadays, congregations are looking to reach folks in various and different ways, from live streaming to Facebook to YouTube. Now your harvest is literally plentiful. And so the purpose of you, the purpose of the sower, is to sow. That's what we are here for. And the thing about it is, is you don't, you can't control the soil. Sometimes you'll sow and you'll come up with nothing but frustration. But you got to keep on sowing. And that's, that's the reason why it's important for us to understand the gospel and know what the word of God says to us. And not be discouraged. 
and not grow faint in doing what is good and what is right. So let me just share one other thing about seeds that we sow. Because a lot of us have been sowing for a while. Amen. Sowing love, sowing peace, sowing joy, sowing kindness. We've been sowing persistence. We've been sowing hard work. We've been sowing determination. We've also had some bad seeds. Some seeds that are jealous or greedy or withholding. And so here's some things I want you to consider about seeds. Some seeds, they don't work. They, they won't germinate. They, 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 they can't produce. They're, there's something that is just about that seed that it, it's a dud. <laughs> Some seeds have this outer layer that has to be broken before that which is inside can germinate. If you ever planted okra, you know this, that you have to soak the seed first to get that hard layer off, and then you can begin to see what will happen in time. And then there are other seeds that have been tainted. I think about companies like Monsanto and, and the people who make poison are also manufacturing seeds. That's dangerous. I think we have to look to Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are the ones who have to trust the one who has given us this gift to share with the world. I kind of think that's what my granddaddy was doing. He was nurturing. He was getting the seeds ready. He was understanding the seasons in which to plant certain things. Now, people's hearts are hardened. They're filled with weeds, and, and sometimes ministry can just be frustrating. But if we trust in God and be reminded that God is doing the, the, the fertilizing and the, and the ready-making. If we remember this ministry that God has given this church in this particular neck of the woods, then we will know that every seed that we sow will have the potential to be nurtured and, and cultivated by the Holy Spirit. So know that the good work that has been planted in you and in this church will continue because God will continue to give you what you need. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.